Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 253. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Pingdom, and Dubai Friday. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Wait a second. Isn't Dubai Friday a podcast? Hi, Mike. Yes, it is. We'll talk about that later oh, on. And it is the summer, summer of fun. fun, and I am having my own summer right here with Marco Arment. Hi, Marco Arment. Summer of fun. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> so we're, Marco's our special guest today, because uh, I'm at Marco's Beach House. This is my summer of fun. Jason just got back from his own summer of fun in Hawaii, but nobody mm-hmm. cares about any of that because we have some hashtag snow talk today. And our question is also a little bit of follow-up. It comes from Steve. Steve says, currently Overcast Smart Speed has saved me an extra 1,794 hours. Do I listen to too many podcasts? So a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about Smart Speed in uh, Ask Upgrade. And as is usual, whenever uh, we mention Smart Speed on a show, people send in their screenshots of the amount of time that they saved. Uh, I think Steve's is probably the highest that I saw at 1,794. So considering we have Marco with us today, uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. But Jason, I will ask you the question that Steve asked. Does Steve listen to too many podcasts? You can never listen to too many podcasts. Is that the right answer, Perfect Mike? Answer. That's what I'm supposed that to say, right? That is the exact answer that I was looking for. Thank you very much. Especially if you find them at relay.fm slash shows. Um, so, Marco... Can you, uh, you, you tweeted because I, I assume you saw people tagging you mm-hmm. again after we spoke about it a couple of yeah, weeks. That was us. Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> and the, we did that. you tweeted from the Overcast account that over 1,898 years have been saved in total people hours with smart speed. That's right. And, uh, and that's, it, it, that's about the same. I haven't, I haven't refreshed that number today, but it's about the same. But I can tell you my number is 367 hours, which, pales in comparison to seven seventeen hundred <laughs> yes um but i can also tell you the highest number that overcast knows about among active users is six thousand and eight hours <gasps> that being said the second highest is three thousand nine hundred and seventy so it's a pretty big drop off i will say that this listener is ranked if assuming that they have you know about one more hour since then they'll be ranked at approximately the 44th highest number wow. among all overcast active users i think you did it steve good job good job <laughs> i am concerned about your mentions now for the people <laughs> that now want to know their rank i didn't ask we didn't ask marco to provide this data he did it on his own accord so marco game center integration happening with overcast yeah, right. now right you need a leader <laughs> now. good idea <laughs> no, million dollar idea I, I love building on reliable well-used <laughs> apple frameworks yeah. what's, oh, what's always better than to... uh, actually did you, did you did you notice um in ios 13 because they added that whole um ability in messages to create your basically apple avatar that uh-huh. uh game center it's like the first change i've seen in game center in years game center now picks that up and oh. it's it's like part of your game center identity. I don't know how you do oh things in game God. center because they game removed center. all those features like five years ago. Well, but they it's also still just got going. rid of the app, right? Yep. <laughs> like it used yep. to be a game center app, which was the felt, which became the big color bubbles, and then went away. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that was our hashtag snow talk question. If you would like to submit a question for us to open a future episode of the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag snow talk. And just to be clear, the answer to Steve's question now is very obviously he does not listen to too many podcasts because he's exactly. only in 44. like 40th place. <laughs> Come on, mm-hmm. Steve. Come, Come on. on Steve. Yeah. I mean, if you were in the top 10, maybe, but at number 44, I think you're all right. 
We have some follow-up about the iPad OS beta. Uh, beta 3 was out uh, last week, and there are a couple of changes. Uh, one is one we've spoken about on this show before. The uh, mouse cursor, which is through the accessibility settings, you can now make it nice and small, Jason. So Yay! I'm sure you're very happy about that. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, that's that's a good accommodation for people who want the smaller cursor that also doesn't wreck it as an accessibility feature, right? Like you can keep the cursor any size you want. I think giving people more options about how big they want that cursor to be is good, right? Because people can then choose. Mm-hmm. Do you want a little one? Do you want a big one? It sort of depends on your vision, depends on how, uh, you know, how you move the, the cursor around on the screen. I'm, I'm really happy that that happened and so quickly too. That's awesome. Yeah, me too. Cause again, it's like we've spoken about this before, but, uh, understanding what accessibility options that that is actually solving and for some people like myself who require a better ergonomic setup i don't require a very large mouse cursor because it's not a visibility thing that i have um it is just a like a physical thing so i'm happy to see that that change came about and there's also something which is interesting sometimes it can be difficult when using uh, ipad applications in split for you to know which window is active for the keyboard and they've now added a very subtle indicator of the active windows in split view, which is that little pill that sits at the very top, like the little grabby pill. This is mm-hmm. grabby pill. That's what we'll call it. That sits at the top of the split view window, which allows you to kind of move them around and, and resize them. Now flashes with the uh, active window and also the non-active window. The little pill is a bit more dimmer. Yeah, this, this would have never happened if Johnny Ive was still at Apple. Can I be the oh first person to have ever said that? <laughs> yes. You might you, be. Do you know what, Jason? I actually think that you, you may be, like, at least <laughs> on a podcast, the first person to utter that phrase. Uh, that's why I did it. No, I, this is, it's good, but it's super subtle, um, which is not the best. Although, if you compare it to the other visible pill, you can always sort of see which one is darker. So, it's mm-hmm. it's better than nothing. Although, it does bring up a lot of other questions for me, because now that I know for certain which app has focus, um, I start to ask myself, what's the logic of how you gain focus? in one versus the other and the yes. answer seems to be you have to initiate a text editing cursor and then okay. it moves and the reason i bring this up is somebody um i saw somebody commenting about this who said well isn't it already obvious because it's wherever the text editing cursor is and that's mm-hmm. not entirely true because you can be one of them can be in the foreground and you're not editing text in either of them and it's important for keyboard shortcuts yes um that's the big one is that i don't know whether i'm in safari or in my text editor when i hit a keyboard shortcut on my ipad and i'd like to know because uh hitting command l in safari does things i want and in my text editor does things i don't want right so it's that Mm -hmm. simple um but uh I what I found when I was tapping around is is I really the only way to get Safari to listen to those keyboard shortcuts and to get that little pill to be darker is to basically tap in the URL field and then tap out of it, which brings us back to a classic, I think, Gray and Mike feature request, which is wouldn't it be great if there was a keyboard shortcut to change the focus? <laughs> that yes. would be nice. I, I, that would be a nice little feature. The summer of fun was created in part because there's typically not a lot of news in the summer. So Jason was going away. I was going away. We pre-recorded our last episode, which came out really well with uh, with uh, Andy and Shelley. 
then Johnny Ive quit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was listening to ATP last week, and there was uh-huh. one of those things that was, uh, hey, when, when did Johnny Ive quit last week? Was that a Thursday or a Friday? Or what, when was that exactly? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I could tell you it was Thursday because I flew to Hawaii on Thursday. And when, uh-huh. I, tur- when I landed <laughs> on Maui and turned my phone on out of airplane mode, uh, <laughs> then I got pummeled with Johnny Ive mentions. And I thought, well... I'm on vacation now. And that was it. So it was, th- it was Thursday. Literally, it happened while I was in the air uh, over the Pacific Ocean. So a couple of pieces of follow up. Um, if you're interested in some quick takes, uh, I was on Presentable with Jeff Veen and we spoke about it. Jeff was actually really interesting to talk to as somebody who is from a design background who has managed people. It was very interesting to get Jeff's opinions on Apple's kind of not just losing Johnny, but what seems like a kind of a change in their structure. And then, of course, uh, ATP uh, this past week was also really good about it. You guys spoke about it yep. basically for the entire episode. Thank you. So there are a couple of places. But, Jason, I have not heard nor read any opinion I, from I'm you about so this. I'm so relieved that this happened while I was on vacation, actually, because I'm one of those people who would have a, a, a mild opinion about it. And mm-hmm. that's like everybody wants to hear the hot take. My my opinion, my feeling on it is mostly a feeling of like, it's like nostalgia led. Yeah. Do you have anything like that? Like my, I feel more emotional about it than I do concerned about it in any real way. Like it's just kind of like, oh, it's a shame. Like that, that era is over now. Johnny, I, I think I mentioned this on the Six Colors podcast last week, the members only podcast. That's a promotion right there. You can listen to me talk to Dan mm-hmm. Morin every week. Um, the uh, the thing that really gets me about this is Johnny Ive was working at Apple. He started working at Apple about the same time I graduated from college. Wow. Uh, so before I even started working at Apple themed uh, magazines and such, right? Like a long time ago. And that was in the deep, darkest, like n- before the Newton was announced, like old Blimey. Apple, yeah. old Apple. He's been there a long time. I mean, that's a long time to work at any job. And I realized that his role has changed dramatically. And obviously, after he was there for five years, Steve Jobs came back and they made a connection and they went on to do some amazing things. But like, that was my first thought was he's been there forever. Like, like I'm amazed. I mean, probably too long. Let's just say that. In fact, I wonder again, cause it's all speculation. Cause no one really knows how Apple works. Who is, um, you know, among the people who are pontificating about this. It's very rare that you hear from someone who actually gets it, uh, mm-hmm. based on, uh, their actual real world inside knowledge. Uh, it's a lot of speculation, but I, wonder if steve jobs's illness and death actually changed johnny's trajectory not only that he felt that he needed to uphold the legacy and build apple park work with the architects on that but also like not let tim cook down and from a tim cook perspective also the idea that we can't lose steve and johnny uh, simultaneously and there's a good bit on atp this week about distorting your org chart and distorting your organization because there's somebody that you feel you can't lose. And I thought that that was as somebody who, who at one point managed a group of whatever, 50 or 60 people, that's totally true. Like sometimes you get somebody who's such a key player that you do anything to keep them. And what you end up doing is messing up your organization because you're desperate to keep that person. And and it becomes, then you look at the org chart and you're like, this makes no sense, but mm-hmm. we wanted to keep this person. It made sense at the time. Yeah, well, and and, and uh, this is a good example where it's like, imagine the double whammy if Steve Jobs dies and Johnny Ive quits. Yeah. Like that for Apple. 
like just even perception of Apple. So, uh, and the other thing that struck me, and and again, ATP covered this a little bit too, is the time delay. Because like, I feel like when they describe what's happening now, they're actually describing what happened a couple of years ago. So when there was that story about Johnny's kind of a higher level presence where he's the chief design officer and he's not involved day to day, I figure he was probably not involved day to day for a year or two before mm-hmm. that. And they're just codifying mm-hmm. that now and saying it publicly. And this whole like Johnny will occasionally consult on an Apple project, but he's really not involved at all otherwise uh, that they're talking about with this new company of his. I bet you that's basically how it's been the last two years, right? I like. I feel like they're. Oh, they're interesting. This is all just. I mean, he has been moving away. Um, it, it's 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 fine. But and the other thing that strikes me is very much like when Steve Jobs died, which is Apple is simultaneously this company where there are some incredibly talented people you get to know, and you're like, wow, that person's really incredible. At the same time, our our necessity maybe as human beings to focus on a single person. Um, let's, it makes us lose track of the fact that a a single person is still literally is a single person. They only have 24 hours in the day. They've got to sleep. They've got to eat. You know, they've got, in Johnny's case, they've got to be taken up and down the freeway to get to Cupertino. Like key players matter, (laughs) (laughs) but other people matter too. And that's, I think that's the great contrast between, um, when we think about Steve Jobs and we think about Johnny Ive is, Mm -hmm. um, that, that, they are incredibly talented people who matter, and yet they have to be surrounded by a huge number of other talented people. And I think the mistake is when you focus entirely on the one and not on the many. Um, and we learned that lesson with – and Apple has changed its messaging completely in the last six, seven, eight years, where now we know you could now name 20 important people at Apple yes. when before you could have named four. And if anything, too, I feel, and I went over this a little bit on ATP. Like, if anything, it's it's actually a pretty harmful effect, I think, to have somebody above you in the decision making chain or the org chart who is too busy to deal with you, or or too busy to address your needs, or too busy to filter through your work and make calls on it. Or and and so, like, if Johnny was indeed you know so busy and and so remote a lot of the time, then that holds back design because the people under him can't necessarily keep going after certain points until they get his approval on things or until he weighs in on something and like anytime you have something like that where like you have to wait for a manager above you to make decisions or you have to be afraid of what decisions they might override when they do finally come look at your stuff it it, it inherently impedes the work yep so yep. i i'm really happy to see that this impediment that has been there for a while in you know in johnny i've being probably a pretty severe bottleneck is now officially removed whatever however it's been less years like he's now officially gone from like the the chain of command and the people who are who were formerly under him can now probably work a lot better it's got to be very difficult to present your work and then argue with somebody like johnny ive yeah <laughs> right. right like if you're working at apple and, and and he says no i don't think that's a good how do you argue with him Right, like, what level do you feel like? Oh, I can tell Johnny Ive he's wrong about this. <laughs> like, and that is that is a difficult thing in any organization to be able to tell a superior, like, to be able to debate with them on a point. But somebody who is literally legendary, right? Like, like what John was saying. John was beautiful in the things he was saying. People typically get maybe a shot at doing one thing in their lives that they could be considered like legacy making. Johnny's done like four of them. Right, like the things that he has designed or has had a very heavy hand in designing. There's been so many huge things. Like he is a design legend 
and having to be like, no, I don't think we should put this button there. It's <laughs> got to be a really difficult thing to say to him sometimes. So who knows? Maybe it will change yeah. stuff. Remove one button from this and then we'll talk. <laughs> I also think I talked about distorting org charts. I wonder a little bit about distorting actual product planning as well mm-hmm. with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I don't have any knowledge of this, but... I look at something like that car project, which started out as being like, we're going to build a car, and then they laid off a bunch of people, and they apparently folded it way back to, let's start with autonomous systems and go from there. I look at that first misstep with the car and think... Is that because Johnny wanted to design a car? And on one level, that seems ridiculous. And yet, I can totally see that happening, where, you know, he's been involved in these, so many of these uh, big projects. And as you said, Mike, you know, you get a chance to do this one time, and he's had a bunch. But hard not to think that maybe he's, the reason you keep him, the way you keep him, is to find some other thing that he can really get his hands on and get enthusiastic about. And if you're talking about cars, and Johnny's really engaged, maybe if you're Tim Cook, you're like, you know... Well, let's like, let him... What if he ends up designing the car that changes the world? Because right. he's done it with other stuff. Let's let right? him like, play. We've got money. We want to keep him happy. Uh-huh. Let's let him do it. And that's and that ends up depending. I mean, I think what you then look at is the fact that they did kind of kill that as mm-hmm. being the discipline part of this, which is now actually that was that's a bad idea. Point. We need to stop. And that's I to me. And this is I know. Con- contrary to a lot of pundits but it's like i look at apple saying whoa this car thing is out of hand we're gonna pair it way back and we're gonna just kind of take a loss on it i view that as a good sign because that's apple looking analyzing what it's doing and saying no and that like i think that's discipline i think that's a good indicator for apple that it's still uh, critical of its work in progress and is willing to throw something out if it's not working agreed Upstream. Let's do a piece of upstream news. Uh, This is one that we knew that was going to be coming, but I think it's important. The Office is going to be leaving Netflix at the end of 2020. From 2021, it will be exclusive to NBCU's service, right? NBC Universal service. Uh, Apparently, Netflix offered up to $90 million to keep it for five years. But this is kind of funny to me. NBC paid $100 million. (laughs) But you say to yourself, hold on a minute. They own it. Well, so t- this is one of those hilarious <laughs> things where these companies get all pushed together by the end of it. NBC have paid NBC Universal a hundred million dollars. They effectively move money around yeah. on a balance sheet. Yeah, I do this. I when I when I file my uh, expense report with my own company, mm-hmm. I, I you know write myself a check and then I go deposit it. It feels great. Yep. <laughs> That's what they did. And I think it, I kind of like that. It was like, well, we don't want Netflix to have this, so we will just offer more. Then, then they will offer, and then we just get to keep it. Honestly, that's above board because what usually happens in these situations is that the competitor offers ninety million, and then you sell it to yourself for ten million, which means you don't have to pay all of the people who have a profit share mm. or a, a certain like kick in their contract for the value uh. of the streaming rights. You you lowball it, and then you know Steve Carell doesn't get his residual based on 100 million which is the actual value or 90 million he gets it based on the lowball figure so actually the fact that they officially set the prices above netflix is, is at least good it's good it's also possible that this it, this was an internal company competition thing where they're like you know this is how they find out whether they really want to bank on 
this streaming service or not is are they willing to write a check to the other division of NBC Universal mm-hmm. for this? So th- it may not be entirely fake. Yeah, I expect it was happening. Like, but I just think the whole thing is hilarious. But yeah, it is. They're just putting it in there, taking it from the front pocket, put it in the back pocket. Because it all just ladders up to the same balance sheet yep. at the end of the day. It, but yep, it's true. Netflix doing Netflix does they have pretty good on social media. They tweeted that the show will still be ad free until 2021, and they also use this as op- an opportunity to promote Space Force, which is the Steve Carell, Greg Daniels, Greg Daniels who created The Office upcoming show about it's kind of like The Office in Space. Yeah. Is what they're trying to make. What's the ad free? Is that like a dig because NBCU servers might have ads in it? It will have ads. But there, oh, okay. will be, there will be uh, ads, tiers, and free tiers. Yeah. Uh, it, like, like Hulu. Like Hulu. Because, yeah. and this is this is why, because they have a whole sales department who is geared at network TV to selling ads, and you wouldn't want to give them nothing to do, so <laughs> you create an ad tier and then a, a free tier or a, an ad free tier above it. Like Hulu. Well, yeah. and also, like, if they want to have a, a free plan, I don't know. Have they announced that? Is there going to be a free plan? Yes, no. it seems like no, it. I don't know. It I mean, even Hulu like charges, it. even Hulu yeah, charges right. for their ad plan, and CBS yeah, charges for their ad plan. It's just less. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're going to have a free plan, it makes total sense why they would want, you know, an ad division. But if they're just going to do a Hulu thing where you pay a little bit for ads and you pay more for fewer ads and pay even more for no ads or whatever Hulu is this year. Uh, that's that doesn't sound great. A- NBC to me. is in the weaker position of the companies doing this, so mm. I think they are trying everything yeah. as a way to try and make them a a, a persistent player. Um, talking about the office, uh, if as a this feels like a nice cross promotional mm-hmm. point for somehow I manage, which is a podcast from the Uncomparable, which is hosted by Tiffany Allen, which is Michael's wife. So you can go listen to that if and you Micah want Sargent. to. But Ma- Mike is also and Mike Sargent, yes, of course. Uh, He's the and- assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, but Michael, I wanted to ask you uh, just very quickly: How do you feel about the amount of streaming services that there are in the world right now, and that feel like they're coming? <laughs> um, I'm probably a bad example on some level because of you know the the joke that I haven't seen anything mm-hmm. um, because I actually well, this don't... is why I wanted to ask you. Be- yeah, like I don't watch everything that comes out, everything that's good. Like I, I hear all of you guys talking about it, and I. I, I make little mental notes of series I want to watch, um, but I don't usually watch most of them because the, the problem I have, I don't watch that much TV. Like I, I'll work most of the day and then at night I'll sit down with my wife and we'll watch, you know, a couple of shows. And when that's all you're doing, there's not that much time in the day. There's not, there isn't that much time in, in the year to go through a whole lot of new content. Mm-hmm. You can go through some. And so, you, you know, you tend to pick, you know, the, the few biggest, most popular things you've heard about. But I think now we have the additional asterisk there of the biggest, most popular things you've heard about that are on the services you already yeah. subscribe yep. to. So we subscribe to Netflix, uh, HBO, whatever, Go Now, whatever it is. We don't have HBO. Uh, so Netflix, HBO, and I think that's it currently. I guess, oh, yeah, we have Amazon Prime, whatever, but we never Everyone use it. Everyone has that. Because, yeah, because it's terrible. Yeah. Um, so I, the reality is we just watch whatever's on Netflix most of the time. And we don't have enough time in our day to watch everything else. And so I think having more streaming services, like if if new stuff launches not on a service that we already have, basically not on Netflix, uh, we're probably just not going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I think largely the, the effect that it's going to have when you have all this fragmentation of all these services the the most likely effect is mostly just going to be like audience fragmentation that you're not really going to have easy discovery like back when everybody had cable 
you if you heard about a show from a friend chances are you had access to the show so you could go then start watching it mm-hmm. but now if you hear about a show if it's on one of these one of these like you know lower tier or lower popular popularity services if you don't have that service how likely are you to go sign up for an entire new streaming service just to watch one show that your friend told you you should watch like i think it's gonna it's gonna actually hurt like audience discovery of new shows that way for sure for sure um when i do i do the uh tv podcast with tim goodman from the hollywood reporter every week and uh, he is loving this show called per- or Perpetual Grace Limited, which is from the guy who did Patriot, which is on Amazon Video, oh. which is great. Uh, Perpetual Grace Limited is on Epics, what? which is literally something that nobody that? gets. <laughs> and I mean, I felt this way with um, with Counterpart, which was on Stars, which also almost nobody gets. And it's one of these cases where they did two seasons. It was an amazing show. It was maybe my favorite show, and nobody saw it, and it's still not on any streaming service anywhere. You can buy the episodes on iTunes, but that's it. Uh, there's a Blu-ray of the first season, and it, you know, it, it feels to me like that's where we're headed, is a world where everybody's got you know Netflix, Amazon Prime maybe. Maybe Hulu, maybe not. Maybe Disney, maybe not. But like everything else is going to be like... So super niche viewing and maybe you flip, you know, you hear about a good show and you turn it on for a month and watch it and then turn it back off. Maybe people will do some of that. But it feels like there's going to be a small set of big players and then everything mm-hmm. else is just going to be um, a, kind of a, a rumor to you where you're going to hear about a good show and then be like, where is it? I, I don't get that. And then you just let it pass you by. And the question is, uh, how do you build a business about on being epics or on being stars like how, can you, how do you spend <laughs> money on original programming uh-huh. if nobody knows that you exist and you know, like is that a viable business at all and I, I that's what i really wonder and when we talk about having more than 500 scripted tv shows being made in english right now mm-hmm. in the united states um in, in a year that's a huge number it's by far the most ever i it's kind of hard to think that they're going to be able to keep it up for more than a couple more years before this just implodes. Because in the end, you can't watch all this content. There's no No. way that this amount of money, this amount of money is being spent speculatively in the hopes that you will get a big enough audience to stay in business when all your competitors go out of business. But it's a house of cards. Ah, which is also a streaming show. (laughs) And it's, it's the kind of plan that like it works when there's a small number of these things, like when there's only a small number of big streaming services or like in, in the, in the previous world, like when there's only a small number of like hit channels on, on TV, you can do this kind of stuff and chances are like you'll find an audience and, and you can develop hit shows. But that the, the the mechanics of that really fall apart hard once you cross a certain threshold of like, you know what? I don't need to see popular show XYZ because I have 50 other amazing shows that I've heard I should watch that I had that I haven't had time for, mm-hmm. you know, and that are on the surface that I already right. own. Nobody's ever heard of Patriot. So how are they going to get to per- Perpetual Grace Limited when they've not yes. even seen Patriot, <laughs> right. which is on Amazon, which almost everybody yeah. has, right? Which is so, a service that we all actually watch have. Patriot. Ignore the name. The name has nothing to do with the show. It's, the show should be called Sad Spies, which is what Jason and Tim worked out together. It is a fantastic <laughs> television show. Well, and I've even seen some of Patriot. 
and and the problem i have is that it's an amazon whatever video and i don't i never launch amazon whatever video like we our default app when we turn the apple tv on is netflix yeah and and this was actually when when netflix refused to join apple's uh tv app initiative i initially thought oh that's kind of crappy of them but now i kind of see why because my home on TV is is the Netflix yes. app. Any other app, not only am I not going to it, but if I do try to go to even like the HBO app that I subscribe to, it, it's a bad app. It feels weird. It, it doesn't feel right to me. And so there's actually a lot of friction for me to watch something that's not on Netflix, yep. which leads to me watching more things on Netflix. Yeah, though the, these these companies don't want to be sucked into somebody else's branding, especially Netflix. Right. Netflix yes. is so strong that it knows that if it's not in the TV app, the TV app can't be all things to all people. And if yes. that's true, then what app is most likely to be all things to all people? And it's their app. So why would they ever play clever. ball with Apple? Right, exactly. And like like in a like the world where we have lots of these streaming services, I think that that world can work if the tv app succeeded in its whole like channels initiative where like everything was just like a like a small button that you could push in the tv app to buy that channel and it would work the same way as all the other channels Mm -hmm. but i think the opportunity for that like that ship has sailed i don't think we're there anymore and i think instead we're just going to have these little silos like netflix and hbo and some of them will play ball some of them won't but like ultimately the the tv app channels thing like that's that's what the new apple tv quote new should have been you know five six years ago but instead we have all these you know siloed apps and now we have the situation we have now where like you know now i don't want to leave the netflix app to watch another show because it feels wrong and weird all right ready for a break i i am but i'm afraid of what might come next so yeah okay okay. here we go here we go howdy (laughs) y'all Oh this episode of Upgrade is sponsored by the Dubai Friday program, and they've asked me, Mike Hurley, to read this important message to the Upgrade listeners. <laughs> Several months ago, in our super secret channel, Dubai Friday host Max asked me to purchase and mail him a futuristic sci-fi bicycle helmet that, as it turns out, may not be technically legal in the United States. I purchased the sci-fi helmet for 299 euros and paid shipping on top of that to send it to Max, just because I'm nice and I'm a good friend. After I mailed the helmet to Max, I received a message from Her Majesty's Royal Carrier Service stating that my parcel had been, quote, identified as containing items suspected of being prohibited or dangerous. They examined the package and then, quote, disposed of it accordingly. For the last several weeks, Max has been attempting to reimburse me for the cost of the sci-fi helmet and shipping. However, I have stubbornly refused to accept these payments, instead telling Max to, quote, buy me dinner next time I'm in Chicago, even though I know full well that neither of us can eat 299 euros worth of food in one sitting. So now, because I have left Max with no other recourse, he has purchased this advertisement on the upgrade program for far more than the initial 299 euro financial outlay. So anyway, thanks to Dubai Friday for supporting Relay FM and all the great shows. Now we're even. <laughs> I think now um, you probably owe Max some, uh, like a dinner. <laughs> no, I, I already have a plan for this, which Maybe I've two not or three helmets. Uh, my plan is to invoice Max for the amount of money minus a bicycle helmet. <laughs> look that, out for that invoice mr tampkin it's coming your way awesome. we're not even we're never gonna this be is even. never gonna end nope all right we have marco armit with us so we should talk about keyboards Yay! Yes. <laughs> uh friend of the show ming chi roger quo has published a report <laughs> stating codename roger not his actual <laughs> name codename roger. roger codename roger has published a report stating that apple is revamping its keyboard design once again going back to scissor switches from butterfly switches the report states that these will have better durability more key travel they're going to be reinforced by glass fiber and apparently while still being exp- 
expensive to manufacture, more expensive than a typical keyboard switch, a keyboard scissor switch. It will be still more cost-effective than the current butterfly switches. These first will show up in a 2019 MacBook Air, followed by the macbook pro in 2020 so this is there's a couple of things here that's interesting one let's just say great we all wanted to go back to the switches oh thank god let's just do that right like because we know that they were good (laughs) let's just do that and we'll hope that apple have gotten that process right i think we can all feel pretty confident they're not gonna mess this one up right like i feel like there is so much on the line to get it correctly i wouldn't necessarily assume that I, i i'm sure they're trying really hard to not mess it up but you know the fact is, we've had the butterfly keyboard debacle going on now for, what, about four years? God, I can't believe and, it's been that long. Yeah, since the 2015 MacBook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is, like, they keep thinking they fixed it, and no, it turns out they, they haven't. No, I, right? I don't think they think they fixed it. I think that every single time they're just, like, putting a Band-Aid on it. Like, they are, try, yeah. they are like, hobbling along with this current one, hoping that they'll do something to make it a little bit better. Like, these percentage gains on reliability. Maybe, if, because yeah. if they thought they were fixing it, they would just keep going down this path. They know this is not a thing, but it takes too long. Anyway, so, but see, here's the thing. 2019 MacBook Air to get it first. 2020 MacBook Pro. Does that mean we're not going to see the MacBook Pro in 2020 or will they bring out a macbook pro with the butterfly switches first so that yeah so here's the question so you know the the rumor had been that the the alleged 16 inch macbook pro which would be a new physical design incorporating this new keyboard that was rumored fairly recently i think by mark german uh to be released this fall and it, it would be a little bit odd since they did just uh, rev just with you know with minor speed bumps and a minor keyboard revision with the materials they did just rev the the existing line mm-hmm. of macbook pros like a month and a half ago mm-hmm. or something so it, you know so it's pretty recent so it w- it would be kind of odd to have a speed bump rev to the existing line and then to release the 16 inch this fall unless it was really indeed just a 16 inch that would be positioned above the other two and the other two would still be for sale for a while uh that so like that's kind of what we were assuming now until this makes you quote report and normally I would just think this report is wrong because most of the other stuff we've seen suggests that it's coming in 2019. Uh, but Ming-Chi Kuo has such a good track record uh, that, I, that I'm not sure I would necessarily um, bet, against him. bet against him. If I am in charge of laptops at Apple, I am not putting a new keyboard in the MacBook Pro for its first run. I'm not doing that. That well... Hmm. I wouldn't do that. But on the other hand, the MacBook Pro is the one that needs it the most but because see, but it has like the highest end buyers. They expect the most, you know. Because if it's still not going to work, <laughs> I don't want it in that computer. I, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think in any of known like computer history, I don't think any reasonable quality brand has put out a scissor switch keyboard that was unreliable. But okay, what is glass fiber? Is this new? <laughs> that's a good question. This is this is my concern that they're like. Is it, is it like fiberglass? Is it? Well, that's what it sounds well, and, like. And there was like there was a there was somebody was tweeting. Uh, there was a, a part of the presentation of the original twelve inch MacBook with the original butterfly keyboard. Uh, Phil Schiller was going over like the difference between scissor switches and these new awesome butterfly switches that they had made. And the scissor switch it was labeled as like the little the little like arms that scissor down. They were labeled as plastic. And then the butterfly switch arms that flap down. Which by the way, as far as I know, that component has been reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, those were labeled as, I, I believe, glass reinforced nylon. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what this is. Like it's just like glass fiber. They're like, using that material. Yeah. So it seems ones. like they're just using they're using that material for the 
scissor rocking levers which is fine like th- those parts almost never have problems what you know what has problems are you know large things that can jam under the switches like large crumbs or debris or um, the actual like button pad thing that yep. depresses and makes contact like if that wears out in some way that can cause problems but the actual like rocking of the scissor mechanism rarely has issues so that i'm not i, I don't i don't think that's that's anything bad it's, it might even be good um and, and it might it might give apple like the some kind of bragging rights of uh, oh here's a new physical design of why we're not just going back to what we had before we have something brand new uh-huh. that's even better like it kind of lets everything we learned from doing the butterfly switches right. we found this incredible material and it's going to be reinforced like it's you know it's right. like like, whatever. It, it lets them seem like they're moving forward and not just reverting back mm-hmm. to what was there before mm-hmm. you know i bet they don't call it scissor switches uh well they uh, might they have, some, they have some special apple name yeah right <laughs> blade switch <laughs> 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 but I, I gotta say like everything that i that we've heard from the rumors of this keyboard sounds great like i'm almost afraid to believe them because of how great it sounds like you know among things like we've heard that it has a one millimeter travel which is i think about double the butterfly switches so high, you know one millimeter travel uh the scissor switch which should be way more reliable uh and just feel better um and i've even heard that it's going to have inverted t arrows possibly a hardware escape key next to the touch bar and one of my one of my also little pet peeves the the margins between the keys are too narrow on the butterfly keyboard and it makes it hard to feel the edges of the keys and it makes it easier to hit the wrong key by mm. accident i've even heard that they have shrunk the keycap size slightly they are big they're very yeah, big they're too big and they they apparently have also shrunk the keycap size back down to approximately the uh, magic keyboard size on the desktop keyboards wow. so it basically sounds a lot like the magic keyboard which would be fantastic because the magic keyboard has has you know the two attributes the butterfly keyboard doesn't it is widely agreeable and it's reliable yep so this sounds awesome and you know if it takes them an extra few months i i, I have also heard from from one source that i heard that uh that it's not that it's supported by 10 dot whatever dot one so that mm. would place it at like late fall like you know or like mm. early winter like december maybe like when do they tend to release the dot one update to, to mac os like november december maybe so it's possible ming Ko could be right they could start taking orders for it in, in like, like november and it ships in and january maybe it shi- yeah or maybe it ships in limited quantities in yeah. december and then you it ships more in volume in 2020 but it's technically a 2020 product I mean, yeah, it, it, but, if they did that, they would yeah. label it 2019. But still, like, it, yeah. it, regardless, like, that's nitpicking. Like, it's hmm. going to probably be closer to the end of the year if it is, you know, if it is coming out. And so, you know, whether the MacBook Air is announced at the same time and maybe ships earlier, who knows? Like, it could be a detail like that. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I'm really happy they're doing this. It, I'm really happy to see Ming-Chi Kuo reporting a lot of these details as well, which which makes me think they're more reliable yep, of a rumor yep, yep. Uh, by, by a lot, actually. Because now it's parts. The yeah, parts are being made. Exactly. So that's really good. And I think one surprise is if the Air is indeed getting this as well, which I actually have heard that, that it's coming to the Air and the Escape uh, as well. Ooh. Curiously, I've, I have heard nothing the escape? about the a lives wait a second here yeah <laughs> like, and i've heard nothing about this keyboard coming to a 13 inch macbook pro with touch bar which is odd and i worry about that because that's that's the machine i use <laughs> but hmm. but i've heard only about 16 yeah, inch escape it won't, and be, it won't be the machine you use because when they bring out the all new 16 inch wonderful macbook pro you'll get that one and if they don't even mention the 16 inch and they just bring out a new air with this keyboard i'll buy i'll get an air yeah i'll be i'll be very happy with that because honestly, like my needs don't exceed what an air can do 
a lot of the time. Mm. So uh, I got a couple questions. First off, I have sort of written off the 13-inch Touch Barless MacBook Pro as a as a goner. Just well, because it seemed like Apple has. Because I don't know where it fits. It fits weirdly, yeah. unless I suppose there's no 13-inch touch bar, in which case it fits less weirdly, but that's still a very yeah. strange thing. Uh, um, so that's fascinating. Like, is that product not dead after all? And uh, the other thing is, I'm fascinated by the whole conversation about the MacBook Air, because one of the things that, that I wonder about is, okay, so they have this butterfly keyboard and now they've got this new keyboard. Now we do know that the, what, 2018 and 2019 models can get the new latest generation butterfly keyboard. But what what really jumps out at me here is the idea that Apple has a new keyboard design that's coming and they're going to be able to put it in the air because they just turned over the air. They just redesigned exactly. the air, which means did they redesign the air knowing that they would you know they would have certain keyboard specs that they could use for a different keyboard because otherwise it seems awfully wasteful like we made this product but now we need to redesign it a little bit in order to fit the new keyboard in it yeah. or is that the commonality that allows those 2018 and 2019 laptops to get the current this brand new version of the butterfly is that like actually also the drop-in size of this new keyboard i don't know i'm i'm that that part baffles me because uh no. the air is brand new essentially and if they put a new keyboard in it you know did they what did they have to do to get a new keyboard in this design that's only a year old exactly i mean if anything it'll be it'll be even more incredibly frustrating if they can very easily fit this thicker keyboard <laughs> into their laptops without major design changes yes. well i'll be yelling like why didn't yeah. you do but it, it, it could be that there was a stealth design change in 2018 right that, that could be the answer here is that since they're saying i know you've got the old generation butterfly but if it dies we're going to put the new generation in even though it's an older model an 18 model anyway um does is that a clue i don't know that maybe that change that allows those things to be swappable you know the the new keyboard can go in that older model is that also the change that makes it be able to accept a new keyboard, a, a, a scissor instead of butterfly keyboard? I don't know, but um, that's my conspiracy theory of the day. Though, so let's just make that today's conspiracy theory. All right, so um, I'm, I feel I feel like I shouldn't say this. I feel like Marco's going to maybe jump out of the window. We're about halfway through the beta process now. There are thereabouts. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're in the, we're in the approaching middle of July. You know, I'm sitting next to a sliding door. It's really easy to yeah. jump out this window. <laughs> uh, we're about halfway through, <sighs> so I kind of wanted to check in with you as a developer of a very popular application, application that many listeners will be using right now, which is Overcast to listen to the show. There was a lot announced at WWDC, and I kind of want to get an idea from you as to where your focus is, what the stuff is that you're most interested on, and looking at maybe what 2019 will look like for overcast so ios 13 it has new features they're not actually the ones that most people are talking about but there is stuff that got into ios 13 uh what is the most appealing things there for your iphone app what is the stuff that you want to do for overcast whether it be for september or later based upon what was announced at ios 13 uh, at wwdc this year well 
Are you asking what I want to do or what I have to do? See, this is this is the thing that I keep uh, in our show document and our planning for this. Mike had this sort of, uh, do you use your data or do you use sort of like marketing and public opinions? And mm-hmm. I, kept, I kept inserting a third option, which is, do you also just choose what you're interested in doing? Because <laughs> like, yeah. that's got to be part of the temptation, right? It's like, well, nobody wants this feature, but it's really cool. And I'm kind of interested in implementing it. And so how do you balance all of those things when you're looking at iOS 13? I mean, the answer in truth is I don't balance those things. I work on what I want to work on. Fair. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes it overlaps with what people care about, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but that that has that served is your me well. way, though. And yeah. I mean, and it's it's served okay for you so far. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like sometimes you know, like sometimes I'll get a, I'll get a hit like clip sharing where like that that just kind of came out of nowhere. I I, I you know I, I heard that interview Stephen did. Uh, and I wanted it kind of inspired me to finally do it. And so I just took a couple of weeks in the middle of an otherwise, you know, busy schedule and just, you know, I, I want to do that feature now. So I just did it. And no, nobody was really asking for it, but I did it and it succeeded. It got a lot of press and, and you know, got a lot of attention to the app and people started using it. And and uh, it's it, it, that I think like I always want the freedom in my mind to just like, hey, I, I all of a sudden want to work on something specific. Let me go work on it. And this can get too far. I mean, right now I have a lot of <laughs> like half done things yeah. that are out there. Like I have like my whole Voice Boost Two engine and and a lot of things Airplay. associated with yeah, which is part of that AirPlay Two. A lot of stuff that's kind of like half done that's blocked by either other tasks that I need to finish first or like OS problems I have to work around, like in the case of AirPlay Two, um, or like bugs I have to wait for Apple to fix before I can ship things. You know, stuff like that. Uh, so so there's there's some of that for sure, but. Uh, largely I work on what I want to work on. And that being said, this is, I think, one of the reasons why the beta period is so hard for me in a year like this because iOS 13 breaks a lot of stuff. Right. Like, I I have to change some things for iOS 13 just to make the app work without, like, weird UI bugs. It's stuff you had no intention of touching right and and it's and some of these things are going to be a lot of work mm-hmm. and, and they have been you know some I've started doing some of them and they're they are a lot of work and so it's it, I'm kind of forced to adopt Apple's schedule during the summertime to some degree uh, which I which I have mixed success with <laughs> most years like I, I almost never get done everything I want to get done by the fall uh, and that is certainly true this year I, I am way behind this year uh, I'm I'm there's a bunch of stuff that I want to do that I just haven't gotten to and and a lot of this stuff so so in in, in broad strokes the 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 major areas I want to tackle are like ta- area number one I need to fix incompatibilities or like broken UI mm-hmm. or you know glitches with iOS 13 and watchOS uh, and that is surprisingly difficult. WatchOS in particular has caused me a lot of problems because the WatchOS beta is so rough. And like to give you some idea, during beta 2, WatchOS and the iPhone simply wouldn't communicate with each other. Any message you sent between the phone and the watch just wouldn't get delivered. So you, I basically couldn't do almost anything on the yeah. watch. <laughs> so and, and, you know, that's, you know, beta 3 just came out like last week. So the watch os is barely usable so far ios 13 is also pretty rough and so it's hard for me to do like you know os compatibility updates when the os's themselves are still in a really rough early beta state can you wait i think i will to a large degree like so here's here's where i'm coming from right now like for for about the last week i started working on 
other things that aren't related to iOS 13. Just making the app better in an update that I plan to ship for iOS 12 in like a week or two. And that has made me very happy because I'm like moving forward again. After mm-hmm. after a month and a half of like grinding my gears against these terrible betas, I'm finally moving forward again. Mm-hmm. And I feel better about that. I'm doing things that my users will benefit from. Whereas updating for iOS 13 is, you know, it's mostly stuff there my users aren't even going to know that I did. Like, you know, oh, I got to update this API to use this new API. Like, right, they're not even going to know. You need to do them though, right? Because otherwise the app might not work. Yeah, exactly. So what I will probably do is delay or defer my my iOS 13 and watchOS 6 compatibility updates until like early August. You know, give give them a chance for a few more betas to really, you know, give Apple a chance to solidify the ground that I'm building on first because until then I'm just fighting my tools and that's yep. no fun. Yep. Now, what this means, you know, so there, there's also all these new APIs that I can use on iOS 13. Like, you know, there's, you know, dark mode's going to be easy. I already have a theming engine in Overcast, so all I have to do is, like, read the system value of dark mode and apply it and probably have a setting where users can say, obey the system or maintain a separate right. setting in Overcast. You, you will hook your system into that system. Right. And give people a setting to unhook it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I will hook it by default. Uh, and that, so that's easy. That, that'll take me a day or two at most. Um, shortcuts is is a bigger thing the shortcut system as as i'm sure you're aware uh is almost completely rewritten and like now it supports parameters and everything and so it's much more complex than before and last year i thought shortcuts were going to be like a a three-day thing and it turned into like a three-week thing because it was way more complicated to implement than i than i expected and there were there was a lot of like you know bad documentation or fighting the tools like Mm -hmm, you know just mm -hmm. things like that i expect a lot more of that this year too so the new shortcut system, I think, is going to be very challenging for me to implement quickly. And also, shortcuts can now do a lot more, which in one way is good. I, you know, the parameterized shortcuts are way better than they were before. And now there's audio-specific intents that I can use for, like, catalog searching, which is great. This is stuff I've been wanting. But it, it is going to take work. Serious stuff, where yeah. I could basically say, oh, oh, hi, telephone, play ATP. I think so. And I, honestly, I haven't even had a chance to play with it yet. But, should but, be able to do it. Yes. In theory, that kind of thing, like basically what we all wanted last year, that I think they've added now. Mm-hmm. But that's going to take probably two, three weeks at least to, to, to get that going. So, you know, that's – it's just – it's hard to get all that stuff going. And then in addition to that, I have these two larger projects, <laughs> uh, an independent watch app which I, I have kind of, my watch app is kind of half independent now. Like you can play podcasts separately from the phone, but it's incredibly unreliable to transfer the files to the phone from the, or to the watch from the phone. I'm one of your tiny percentage of people who use that feature, by the way. So thank <laughs> right. you for, for that. And, and yeah, and that's the other problem is like, it's a pretty tiny percentage of people who use this feature, but I also, I know that part of it's a chicken and egg problem. Like part of it is fewer people use it because it sucks and it's unreliable. Yep. And part of it is that, you know, it, like apple will feature me more if i have this feature like it's it's good for editorial promotion and everything to have this feature so i want more independence on the watch app i want to have a totally independent you know login from login to sync to everything you know because I, I have a feeling apple is going to be pushing that heavily in the near future because uh, because of how they kind of transmitted those ideas in wbdc um so the independent watch app is, is big but again like watch os right now it's so unreliable i can't build against it like so, I don't even want to start yet. I haven't started that process yet. Plus, that's also Swift UI. Yeah, Swift UI is part of that too. And like, I would want to use Swift UI a lot in the Watch app. Uh, but the reality of Swift UI is also really early. 
You know, like it, it's it's just like when people first built with the very first version of Swift five years ago, whenever that was. Like they, had, it was a lot of work to be an early Swift adopter just because Swift kept changing and evolving because it was so new. Swift UI is now doing that. Like I can jump into Swift UI now, but it's going to be a lot of work to just keep up with its changes. And it's just really, you know, the tooling is still pretty young. It's it's not well documented. Uh, you know, there's there's still bugs and shortcomings and everything, and it's hard to know where to turn there. So working with Swift UI right now is going to be actually probably a pretty slow process. It's going to be like it's going to have a lot of friction to it. Um, so, but if I do a watch app rewrite, I will want to use Swift UI. So again, more friction. Um, and then, so so the watch app is probably not going to happen until after the OS releases. I'm, I'm guessing I'll, I'll rewrite the watch app maybe later in the fall or mm-hmm. early winter. And then there's the other big thing, the Catalyst app for the Mac. This is something that I've wanted to do for a while. And I'm really happy Catalyst is there. But for me to build on Catalyst, first of all, I have to be using Catalina to even, you know, develop it like i have to be like operating within the catalina environment as my development environment which i installed it on a little partition but i really don't like using it it's mm-hmm. it's not my main os it's a beta uh and you know, you know my stuff isn't all there i'm not as efficient there i run into i run into friction there and even catalyst because it's brand new has a lot of weird rough edges um you know things like in the first beta i haven't looked at it again since then but in the very first beta I couldn't even build the app at all without removing the CarPlay entitlement from it because the all the tools and everything would not let me they, they would reject that but I couldn't build like a separate one it was it was a whole thing and then iCloud was broken between Mac versions of your app and iOS versions of your app like you, they couldn't share iCloud credentials at first either so it's just it's very rough all this stuff is coming in really rough and and really broken and so while this stuff will be great to build on in the future I assume Today, it's really hard to build on it, and it's, it's really inefficient, and you end up losing a lot of time uh, and and even potentially not even being able to do what you want to do because it's not really fully baked yet. So my plan for all of that stuff is to take it a lot more slowly than I initially predicted uh, to go, you know, maybe maybe I'll do the watch app in like, you know, late fall, early winter. Maybe I'll do the catalyst app in winter and spring. Uh, like once I'm actually running Catalina on my Mac normally, maybe then I'll start working on it. Uh, but and and I want it to be there sooner. Like in theory, a few months ago, like when I was when we were hearing about these things happening. But the reality is, I, there's just too much more to do. Even the Catalyst yeah, yeah. app, like like I want to for the Catalyst app, I want to have a three column view because when I, I built it and you know I I, I did whatever hacks were needed to build it so I could use it and play with it and see what was broken. And the interface is terrible on the Mac. With the way it is now where like the left column is always switching between these two levels of the navigation hierarchy you have like you know your root level like your list of podcasts and playlists and then the contents of the podcast or playlist that really should be a three column view and so i had to write a three column view first of all which itself is a good amount of work and then as soon as i got it running i realized oh crap my interface sucks in three columns it looks really weird it is not made for this at all so again the more work i do I keep uncovering more work I have to do <laughs> to to make it like yeah. shippable to a, at least a minimum quality level that I want. So this stuff is all going to be awesome, but I have a feeling it's going to be like a year to actually get through all the stuff I want to do now with with all these new releases. 
Isn't that nice of Apple to give you a year's worth of work at WWDC? Just there you go. Here's your next year, Marco. Enjoy. Yeah. I, I mentioned on when I was on the talk show with John Gruber that there was a thread that um, Canis, who's the developer uh, at Wooji Juice, who does uh, Ferrite Recording Studio, which I love. Um, and it was very similar to what you just said, which was, okay, everybody wants Ferrite on the Mac. That is basically what he's saying. That's very nice. But... And it was very much like, I want to do it right. I've got a lot of iOS 13 things I need to do in my existing app so that it works right, um, including they deprecated one of the audio APIs that he uses that he needs to change to a newer audio API. And there's all this other stuff going on. By the way, I use that as well. Yeah, and I, I know. Also have to <laughs> <for> the same <laughs> reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and then he said, you know, and when I do the Mac app, I want it to be right and I want it to be good. And so I'm not going to work on the Mac app this summer, like, you're going to need to wait because I want to do it right. I have pride in, again, I have pride in the product that I make and I want to have it be, um, have it be good when I do it. And uh, I, I feel like what makes me afraid is that all of those hot catalyst apps that are going to ship with Catalina are going to be bad because they're going to be shovelware and that mm-hmm. it, and, and they will be condemned by people as saying, see, catalyst is bad because all it does is bring lousy, poorly translated apps to the Mac when, you know, the truth is maybe that a lot of the better catalyst apps you're just not going to see on day one because yep. those developers are going to be more conscientious about making those apps. Oh yeah, and 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 part of it also is, you know, the market forces here. I mean, it, it's it's very different for Ferrite. Like you know, for for what is a professional content production app, it makes a lot of sense to have that appear on the Mac, right? But there isn't that much demand for most iOS apps to come to the Mac, including Overcast. Like there's there's very little demand for Overcast on the Mac. I don't. I I wouldn't even use it most of the time. Yeah, but Casey would get off your back I finally, know, right? so that'll be good. Like while I want to work on this, just because I think it would be cool. The reality is I probably shouldn't spend a lot of time on it this summer. I need to I need to focus on where what my users actually would benefit from the most. And that is number 1 iPhone, number 2 Apple Watch. And then iPad and Mac are very distant after that. So ultimately the best thing I can focus on is making the iPhone app better. And so that's that's what I'm doing first. And then after that I got to tackle the watch and so like, you know, Catalyst is, you know, it's I'm really glad it's here, but it's going to take a lot more work than I thought which therefore pushes it back on my priority list significantly. We are three people who have very strong opinions about podcasting in general. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of podcasting today. Uh, But before we do, let's thank our second sponsor of this episode, and that's our wonderful friends at Pingdom. Pingdom are amazing because they help keep your sites and the sites that you love online. They monitor your website so you don't have to, giving you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. We've uh, been having some outages because of our uh, caching provider, um, and I know that things are going up and down because Pingdom tells me. It's very, very useful. Uh, the internet is amazing, but stuff breaks all the time. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every single month, which is more than 400,000 outages every day. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you want alerts about any critical website issues. And Pingdom will let you customize exactly how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. They'll track and analyze your website's load time, and so you can easily see what's affecting the user experience for your visitors. 
visitors. If you have a website of any size, you need Pingdom, and they have a no-fuss approach to get started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you'll get a wonderful 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. So I was doing some research for this episode, uh, and I came across a couple of quotes from uh, this little website called Marco.org. Oh, no. Uh, The first is in October 2015 in uh, a blog post about, I think it was about uh, app pricing in general. Uh, You were talking about kind of having Overcast as free and talking about subscriptions and stuff like that, called Pragmatic Pricing. So this is a quote. Uh, podcasts are hot right now. Big money is coming. They're coming with bad apps. You didn't say bad. They're coming with bad apps <laughs> and fantastic business deals to dominate the market. Lock down this open medium into proprietary technology and build empires of middlemen to control distribution and take a cut of everyone's revenue. Uh, in 2016, you linked to this post in another um, in another article about uh, Stitcher being bought by Scripps, the newspaper company, saying then big money is here. And we're only getting started. So in 2015, you knew that big money was on the way, the venture funding, large acquisitions. In 2016, Scripps was probably the first big one. So when Stitcher got mm-hmm. bought, um, Stitcher slash Midroll got bought. And now it feels like there are acquisitions happening all over the place. You know, you can look at Spotify and Anchor and, and Gimlet. Uh, there are new VC-backed companies popping up left and right, companies like Luminary. Uh, and they're all, a lot of companies now are hoping to be the Netflix for podcasting, the something for podcasting, because to a lot of these companies, podcasts need something. Do you think it's working? Are the plans of these companies, companies investing millions and millions of dollars to try and make this medium something that it isn't right now or to take a part of the market that they think that they can take, do you think it's working for them or on a trajectory to work? I think it depends on what their goal is. So if you have somebody like Spotify, you know, Spotify has an interesting motivation for podcasts because Spotify has to pay music royalties every time people play music Mm -hmm. on their service. So the more time that their members are playing podcasts instead of commercial music, Spotify is actually saving money there, big money, you know, over time. And it's like, you know, the music royalties are a massive cost for them. And uh, don't forget also that the music libraries are essentially not differentiated, right? They've got essentially yes. the same library right. content Apple, is the same everywhere. They can't do exclusive music. Really? You, I mean, Tidal has tried it, but basically you can't. Yeah. It will eventually be everywhere. But podcasts can be exclusive. All these companies have like, oh, this live album was recorded in our studios. But right, like ultimately, right. none of those things are, are, are moving the dial. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so exclusives are, are one angle of this. And even just having podcasts in general is the other angle. Sure. Like, you know, either way, they're not paying music royalties. And then when they have exclusives, they can also use that as, as you know, exclusive content leveraging to get, you know, new subscribers or whatever. So in both of those ways, I think it does work if the price is right. And I don't know Spotify's business, really. I, I don't know 
you know, their economics. And by the way, I should disclose that I made money on Spotify buying Gimlet because exactly. I was an investor in Gimlet. So I'm, I'm, you know, maybe slightly biased here. I don't think you are, though. Yeah, I guess. You don't have anything good to say. Like, you know, it's, it, not, not good, but like you don't necessarily <laughs> sit there and be like, oh, this is a good idea. No, I, I honestly, I think it, it was a good idea in the sense that I made money from it, but I don't think yeah. it was a good idea for, you know, for them. But. Yeah, I wasn't going to tell them not to do it, but. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I honestly, I, the business side of that, I didn't really pay much attention to. I think ultimately it's up to, you know, these companies what these things are worth to them. There is value in them offering podcasts. There is value in them having exclusive content. But I do think similar to the earlier discussion we had about streaming services, I don't think it's easy to build an audience based on exclusive podcast content you have on one service. It's even worse for podcasting because everything's free. In the yeah. in the land of streaming yeah. services and television, it's not free. You know, you, you get a bunch of stuff because you pay money to somebody, right? You know, like you might pay money to a cable provider and you get a bunch of channels, you get a bunch of content. But you don't ever think of it as free content. Podcasting is free content. Yeah, it's true. And and that makes a massive difference because you are not only saying subscribe to this because you will get this exclusive stuff. You are also saying pay, pay because you're not paying. So now you have to start paying and then you can get access to something in the place that you're not watching it as well. Right, exactly. Yeah, you have to change your player yes. and also pay. Yeah, and this is why like I think uh, I, like compare a lot of these services try to compare it to like oh, we want to be the Netflix of podcasts. I I think a a more useful metaphor instead of trying to compare it to like premium TV shows where they are almost all paid in some way, a more useful metaphor might be to try to compare it to YouTube. And to say, like, you know, YouTube is full of lots of free content, much of which is very good. So how successful has have things been to try to lure people away from YouTube with premium paid content? And I think the answer or is... free video. Right, yeah, or free, <laughs> right. And, yeah, the answer is not very. Like, they have not... That has not really worked on YouTube because everyone who's watching youtube just watches the free stuff if there you know if there's any wall put up to something else they just say no because there's enough amazing free stuff on youtube they don't need to go elsewhere i think that's how podcasting is there there's so much great free podcasting out there that it's really hard to get people to to move into some other player and pay some other new fee for something that they don't need to the only way i think it works is when you when you make a deal with some somebody with an existing large audience to move their audience into your paid service and say, all right, now there's a paywall go yeah. here. But even that, it doesn't I think, seem like anybody. I can't think of anybody who's done that. There are people that yeah. are like maybe walling off old content and putting it there, right. or right. they're doing or a new show. Exactly. But I don't think there's been any huge name that's gone. All right, now you got to pay for this because everybody because look we are all in the advertising mm-hmm. based business and advertising revenue is is still very good so you would be giving up good money for the chance at some money and i think that's why nobody is is making this this jump right now oh yeah and and even even beyond the, the you know the ads are you know right now ads are paying better but even if ads weren't quite paying as well strategically it would be not a good move for a successful content producer to take their audience and try to move everybody over to this to a you know a paywall mm-hmm. system because 
you're going to lose a lot of people in that yes. process. You're going to lose a lot of your audience in that process that you've built up over, you know, maybe years. So like it, strategically, it's it's kind of audience suicide, really. And so you're you're going into this thing, you're losing a bunch of your audience. And I think the opportunity for future growth of new audience is going to be very limited because if people have to sign up for some service to to hear you or to to even give your show a shot that we we know what happens like we, we've seen what happens no one does it basically so you are not only do you lose a lot of your audience in the transition but your audience growth audience growth drops to zero so i don't know any content provider any podcaster who would do that who who is making good business decisions for themselves and and ultimately then therefore i don't think listeners are going to do it and i think We've seen, like, I, you know, you have platforms like Luminary trying this, you know, at a very large scale. I don't think Luminary is, I don't think they're achieving what they set out to achieve. I feel like I haven't heard about them since they launched, which is probably not good. Right. And and the fact is, like, you know, they, you don't raise $100 million to slowly spend it over five years. You raise $100 million to spend it in 18 months and then raise more money with all the growth you've had in the meantime. And I don't see a lot of evidence of that growth happening so far so while it's only been a short time i am i'll call it right here i seriously doubt luminary is going to make it um once they have burned through their money which they have presumably mostly spent already on on like deals for content um as well as their massive staff but it's probably mostly gone to gone to content deals i can't see how they're going to raise more money because they don't have the growth to back it up because nobody wants to pay for content like this and in the end what you end up with is um the this group of companies that i think are doing well are the ones that are saying we can embrace the existing podcast medium and make money mostly through ads, sometimes through platform, but using the existing podcast medium that's out there rather than creating this thing. Because I, 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 you're right in saying it's like YouTube. I was going to say it's like the old days where everybody got broadcast TV for free and then there was HBO. And you're like, pay for sh- for shows that or and movies. That seems like a bad idea and then they're like oh but there's this show that everybody's talking about the sopranos is on like oh well maybe i should pay for hbo the problem is we don't live in a three or four tv network world when it comes to this stuff it's much more the equivalent of youtube we have an infinite supply of the best stuff as well as the stuff that is most closely closely tailored to what you are personally interested in and that's awfully hard to compete with there are companies so like you mentioned mid-roll which um which uh, our friend uh, Lex Friedman used to work for and that they, you know, they do some original stuff and they do have Stitcher, which is their own podcast app. But, you know, they sell ads. They they have big clients and they sell ads. Uh, Lex works at Art19 now, right? It's similarly, it's like platform uh, measurement and ad sales. And that's what they do. And those are building big businesses on the existing kind of podcast structure as opposed to these other companies that are sort of like trying to take the ball and go home you know steal the ball and and go make their own game somewhere else <laughs> steal the ball pop the ball <laughs> then melt the melt the ball's material down <laughs> turn it into uh, a paperweight yeah i think that's sort and of say so people yeah. love paperweights I'm like no we, we don't <laughs> they we, want the ball want they the just ball. want a ball Give me the ball back. <laughs> so, Marco, you kind of sit in an interesting position. I mean, we, we all, the three of us kind of do, and, like, we are content producers, but then we also run companies that are involved in podcasting, right? But the difference between us 
me and Jason and you is that you actually have an application, right? You run one of the larger applications that people use to listen to podcasts in. So I wonder, do, do you feel either as a podcast producer or as the uh, creator of a podcast pl- platform and app, can you see any specific trends or things that, that you keep seeing pop up with a good or bad in the industry right now that you're thinking about? That's a good question. I mean, I'm always concerned that one of these big VC plays is going to mess up what we have like in our world over here. But so far, that there really hasn't been a lot of evidence of that. Yeah, I stopped worrying about this. And me too. And, and, and the reason why, and I, I did this segment on ATP, so I'll be brief. Uh, but, you know, the main reason why is that like, I, I kind of compare podcasting to like an old growth tree. Like we, the ecosystem in podcasting is very strong. Uh, there, there's not a lot of, of weaknesses that people could use to attack us from. You know, the reason why YouTube was able to take over video and Facebook was able to take over like publishing text and stuff to a large degree because those ecosystems were vulnerable. They 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 had problems. They were weak. You know, when when YouTube took over video, publishing video online was really hard and really expensive to host. And there were all these technical challenges that if you just did it on YouTube, it would take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, publishing text online, publishing articles was, as Jason knows, it was a really hard business. It still is a really hard business yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, and. And so you and they and publishers became so um, desperate for like referral traffic from social networks, which is where everybody was going for all their browsing behavior, that they basically had to play ball and still have to play ball with places like Facebook because that's just where all the traffic is coming from. Podcasting does not suffer from issues like this right now. Podcasting is in a great place where they're like usually the way some big power holder or power broker or whatever is able to come in and take over one of these things is by exploiting some big weakness yeah and like you know the, the way youtube exploited like the ease and, and the hosting costs and facebook ex- exploited traffic distribution and everything but podcasting doesn't seem to have one of these things like i mean yeah making a podcast could be easier but everyone's like enough people have figured out how to do it that we have this embarrassing riches of, of podcasting content if now, you ever fine. do want to know Relay.fm slash upgrade slash 200. Yep. <laughs> That's last summer, right? <laughs> yeah. That was last summer of fun, episode 200. Me love and Jason the, broke down episodes. everything. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done because people ask me a lot, how can I, and I just send them this link. Yeah. Any question of how can I do this, this is the link that you get. But Yeah. And yeah. the reality is like hosting, like creating and hosting a podcast in any of the ways that we do today with like the open ecosystem that we have, which is wonderful. If somebody were to come in and make it easier, like Anchor, you know, did, you know, former sponsor probably, right? Yep, <laughs> so a disclaimer there. But like, you know, and now Spotify bought them along with Gimlet. Um, for the, for somebody to come in and try to make a business on making it easier, there's only so much easier you can make it yep. and still have a show that he, that anybody wants to listen to. You can make it easy and they did, and Anchor do make it easier, but it's in a very specific type of way. Yeah. You know, they have like an interesting set of tools, like the ability to call people in and leave messages and all that kind of stuff. But the actual production of a podcast itself, it's not overly complicated once you learn how to do it. And then it's just basically like a machine that just runs on its own, like using the tools that we have, you know, like it's, it is something that you can learn. It is a skill set. It's, it's like, for example, saying, you know, uh, we want to be, we want to make Photoshop easier for everybody. It's like, yeah, you you can make a set of tools, uh, image editing tools, which can make some stuff more simple, but if you really, but like the actual process, the actual beginning process using Photoshop is something you can just learn. And it's not massively difficult once you've picked it up. Video is way harder 
because the uh, production is harder. Like the, the actual tools that you need to produce is harder. Like setting up for video is harder than setting up for audio. So having anything taken out of that. But the biggest thing for YouTube, though, was the cost. It wasn't right. the, the ease. And this might be different now. And the legal I, stuff. Yeah. When I mean, started. like, like, you know, now if you're, if you're doing video, you have to be on YouTube just because that's where all the people are. Mm-hmm. But right now there isn't one of those things for podcasting. And, and, and so to, for one of those things to form for podcasting, it, you would need to have some massive reason why a whole bunch of audience would move to something else. Or you'd have to have Apple go nuts and, and actually start doing, you know, crazy lockdown stuff with their player because they're the only ones that have enough market share to do this kind of stuff and matter. Uh, but, I don't. I don't see that. I don't see either of those outcomes really happening. Like it, what we've seen so far is, even when somebody like Spotify came in with a major podcast initiative, Spotify now has a pretty strong market share. I think it's in the order of ten percent compared to Apple having something about something like sixty percent. But and, and and that's in a pretty short time. But most of that was additive. It was new listeners who weren't listening to podcasts before now listening. I don't think a lot of people picked up and moved away from their podcast app to go to Spotify. And and I've heard of zero people who did that for things like Luminary or any other new startup that might come up. So I don't think like I, I think what, what what we keep seeing over and over again, you know, there was there's the initial boom of like podcast VC interest back in like the Odeo days, you know, whatever twelve years ago, whenever that was. And uh and it, you know, it, it, they quickly realized that it was hard to make a lot of money with podcasting using that VC model, and so it fizzled out, and no one in VC land touched podcasts for a decade. I think we're going to see a, a similar kind of thing happen now, but just not quite as extreme. I think we're seeing you know a big boost of investment now in podcasting because people think they can make a bunch of money by uh-huh. locking it down and doing whatever else. It's largely or entirely not going to work. And so you're going to set you're going to have a few big flameouts, most likely including luminary and anything that's going to raise that much money. You're going to see some big flameouts and the VC people are going to pull back from it. And they're they're going to realize this is not as easy of an investment as we expected it to be or the return rate is simply too low and they're going to pull away and focus on other things. And that's probably going to happen over the next year or two and we're going to go back cuz the thing is like in the 10 years between these two VC waves, podcasting grew and was amazing That's and right. like all it's like when all of us started listening to podcasts it's when all of us started podcasting it's like it all of the, the entire world that all of our listeners and, and that we know as the, the this great world this great world of podcasting all developed and blossomed and succeeded in that span where vcs were like you can't make money in podcasting meanwhile we were all making money in podcasting and so you know it just because the the big vc model might not apply and might fail miserably and they might pull back from it that largely won't affect us our world is largely separated from theirs and so i think we're just going to go back to one of those 10-year periods where we don't hear a lot of big business uh you know intrusion into podcasting and it's fine and that i think is the best outcome for all of us and honestly i think the most likely if i had to guess i would say that um you know the presence of Spotify and doing some originals and stuff. I think I think that will end up working for them. Maybe not justify their investment, but I think as an audio platform, trying to throw podcasts in there for the reasons mm-hmm. that you mentioned, like I think it makes sense for them to continue to do that. Although maybe not invest at anything like the level they are. I wonder about Apple similarly being interested in differentiating Apple's stuff somehow using their uh, authority. They haven't done it yet, but I think it's possible. But I think most of the big 
footprint in podcasting going forward that is successful, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be all the stuff that frustrates you as a listener and as the author of Overcast, which is it's going to be ad tech. Uh, and other things related to kind of like building layers on top of the existing podcast market. And that means, yep. yes, that that dynamic ad insertion will continue and maybe be more or less bad. Who knows? Uh, we could be optimistic and say less bad, but probably not. Um, and that there will be a whole realm of like trying to monetize podcasts by um, offering an ad-free version somewhere where they're removing the dynamic ad search. I mean, there are other ways to kind of like crank out a little bit more cash that people will try to get, uh, build businesses around. And some of that will work and some of that will fail. But it seems like the, uh, applying the Netflix and streaming services model to podcasts, I agree with you, will kind of fall apart, especially since, um, as we said, sort of toward the beginning of this episode, we're probably in for a, hard time for a lot of those Netflix competitors over the next few years as they realize that there's not enough uh, space for them to survive. And I think it's going to be worse with podcasting where there's just, you know, they're not going to make it. But I do think that, you know, these companies that sell ads and bring audiences uh, to advertisers and have their stats that may or may not be real (laughs) and have their, uh, you know, ability to dynamically insert ads in random podcasts and stuff. I feel like that stuff is probably going to make it because they're building on top of what we already have. And it is working for them. Yeah. Right now. And and the reason it works is because advertising on podcasts works without all of that. So I don't know how much more useful, honestly, a lot of that stuff is. But even without the data and without the dynamic insertion and without the geolocating and uh, attempted targeting of users... The advertising stuff still works, so it kind of works regardless. Right. And maybe you do get a slightly better return, um, but but that does mean that that technology will continue because the 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 industry can support it. The industry can support advertising, and it can support it well. Uh, Marco, you seem to talk a lot about this stuff, like in the stuff that you were saying. It sounds like you're talking as a podcast producer. How does all of this stuff affect you as the creator of Overcast? The the workings of individual podcasts largely don't affect Overcast. Like, if a podcast uses certain tracking things on their side, you know, like, I, well, I mean, I don't support anything dynamic in the show notes or anything, so all they can really see from me is, like, here's an IP address downloading this file from somebody running Overcast. Right. Uh, that's it. And so, you know, whatever they can do with that, that's up to them. Um, and so that's, you know, that's how you get things like, you know, location-based dynamic ad insertion based, but it's only based on, like, geolocation of ip addresses so you're you're seeing like you know neighborhood level granularity at best so they don't necessarily know that it's like mike hurley but they know it's somebody who lives in london right mm-hmm. so like you know that you, you see stuff like that and largely i can't do anything about that and so it, it kind of is outside of my world what does affect overcast is any kind of like like a macroeconomic factor in podcasting so you know anything that that affects the viability of shows uh, you know, on their own or whatever else, anything that affects whether or not shows should go behind their own paywalls, whether or not any big shows do go behind their own paywalls or behind paywall services. But what's great about about the situation that I'm in there is that pretty much anything that a show would do that would negatively affect their ability to be played in Overcast would also affect their ability to be played in Apple Podcasts. Right. And Apple Podcasts is so big that almost no show could afford to lose the support of, of Apple Podcasts. So basically, just because of the way this stuff all works with like, you know, the RSS backend and everything being direct downloads and everything, like as long as Apple doesn't radically change that with Apple Podcasts, which I honestly don't think they will, um, I think I'm fine because 
I'm kind of like in the shadow of, of podcasts and nothing they can do to hurt me wouldn't also affect like the the hand that feeds them in Apple podcasts. If I'm right, I think all three of us uh, next year will be celebrating our 10 years in podcasting, right? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say it'll be 10 years for the incomparable. I mean, we had a macro yeah. podcast back in that 2005 period Marco was talking about, but I was never the regular host of that or anything. So isn't that wild? 10 years. Mm-hmm. Time flies time. when you're having fun. But that that's like backs up. You know what you said about the idea of, oh, uh, thing, it, it feels like none of these things are going are gonna to break everything down. And I said it doesn't bother me anymore. It's because over the last 10 years, I've seen lots of things that were going to destroy everything we know and love about podcasting. And none of them have because as you say, the foundation is very strong. I don't know what that foundation is like outside of technology and nerd-focused podcasting, which is what we're in, um, which is the industry that it's kind of the the industry that started 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know, this is the one, Wibbly or Laporte, basically, right? Like, yeah. we are still in that world. And it is very good for us because we have listeners that love this stuff and they like their shows in particular ways and ways that we like making them, which is why I think we remain sheltered a lot from stuff. But I genuinely think that that's going to remain because the underlying technology is so freaking nerdy, <laughs> right, that it kind of protects us quite nicely from everything. It does. And, you know, the reality is like, you know, podcasting started out as pretty much being about technology shows, public radio shows, and then a whole bunch of very tiny specialized interest shows. And over time, you know, now, you know, 12, 15 years later, whatever it's been, we still have technology shows and public radio shows being very large. Typically, being, like especially the public radio stuff. It's like still all That's even larger yeah. now, right? And, and you know, we've added now a significant uh, comedy contingent. And murder. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just comedy, uh, crime fiction, and, and business. Business yeah. is also pretty big these days. Um, but, like, basically we still have the same, those, like, core pillars of, like, public radio and technology as, like, the strongholds. But everything else has also grown up around us. So mm-hmm. we have... You know, just everything has gotten bigger and stronger and more entrenched in the existing good open ecosystem. All categories, all demographics, they're all like really strong now in podcasting. So I just I think we're really OK. Yeah, what I think we're saying is invest in podcasting. I think that's what we're saying. Today's episode is well, <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. Or a podcast. Or a podcast, indeed, with the ability to grab a unique domain name to give it the name and brand that you want. To, to be able to customize award-winning templates so you can give it the exact look and feel you're looking for and so much more. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you put your work online. There is nothing to install or patch or upgrade. They take care of all of this stuff so you don't have to. That is why they are that only one platform, but also because they offer the functionality that you're going to need. If you wanted to make a blog, you can do it on Squarespace. If you want to create a site for an event, you can do it on Squarespace. If you want to create a website with a physical or digital store, you can do that. Uh, on on Squarespace. If you have physical products, digital products, it doesn't matter. They have all of the tools that you're going to need to do that. Squarespace back everything up with award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you need any help at all, they will be on hand to give you that support. You can sign up for a free trial today by going to squarespace.com slash upgrade. With that trial, you can go in and build your website. You can make it look and feel exactly as you want. And then when you're ready to launch it to the world, you sign up for one of their plans that start at just $12 a month. 
When you decide to sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE and you will be getting 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code UPGRADE for 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for the continued support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. We put the call out to the Upgradians and we told them that Marco was going to be on the show. So we have a bunch of Marco themed ask upgrade questions. <laughs> awesome. Uh, first one comes from Robert. What are your current favorite wireless over ear headphones? Oh boy. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of hard for me to answer this usefully because wireless over ears are actually my least frequently used type mm-hmm. of headphone. I pretty mm-hmm. much only use them when traveling on a plane. Okay. But that being said, they are the ones that you're actually wearing right now. The Sony WH whatever whatever Mark II. Uh, the current version is the Mark III, which is very similar. Uh, basically, just swapped out the the micro USB port for USB C and made a couple of other minor tweaks, but they're basically the same. So I haven't upgraded to the newest ones, but I have the yeah the Sony WH whatever Mark III or Mark II, and uh, they're they're good for planes. The only downside to them is that they only easily pair to one device at a time, um, and so I I kind of clumsily have to switch between my phone which i keep them paired to and my ipad or mac on a plane which i use the wire to connect to because it's it's so clumsy but it's easier than you know repairing both directions all the time um people did i, I talked about this on atp and people recommended that i check out the um the beats studio the most recent beat studio which are powered by the w1 chip from the first generation airpods uh, so those should support easier pairing both ways between multiple Apple devices. But I have not tried those. And at this point, I would rather wait until there's a second generation AirPods chip based one, but the, the H1 yep. chip, because it just it's so much you know faster and better pairing and avoid some audio issues. So I, I'm very interested to see, you know, there were rumors Apple might address this and make some over ear headphones sometime headpods. soon. Yep. Headpods, headpods, airheads, whatever we're calling them. But so that if that happens, I, I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, I would buy those immediately. But in the meantime, the Sonys are pretty good. I actually bought, believe it or not, those WH-1000 XM3, the new one, and used them on my recent trip to Hawaii. And there's a whole story about how I, I was having... Um, I was having a lot of like headaches and stuff after flights, and one of the recommendations I had was to not block. I realized I was using my in-ear headphones on the plane, and I thought that might actually be very bad for my inner ear to have weird mm. pressure dynamics happening. Um, but I wanted something I could use on a long flight. Uh, and I thought noise canceling, I heard them talk about it on ATP and I thought noise canceling headphones, I've never really been into that. I don't like over ear headphones, but I thought I would give it a try. And so I bought these to use on this trip and they were pretty good. Like I still don't love over ear headphones. It still kind of makes my ears feel weird and, um, sometimes bad, but, um, noise canceling is great. And I didn't have any problems with my inner ear or anything like that because, you know, I think it lets the air move around in a way that they get blocked like a cork in a bottle with my in-ear headphones. And uh, and I thought they sounded pretty good. So I, um, you know, that's that's my lukewarm endorsement of those products. But I agree. I, uh, I realized I had to, every time I wanted to switch from my iPad to my iPhone, I needed to go into the Bluetooth settings and then disconnect and then reconnect. Otherwise, it wouldn't let go of the uh, previous Apple device, which was uh, a a downer coming from AirPods. I don't use any of these headphones because I hate noise canceling. 
Oh, I should clarify. I don't use the noise canceling function. I turn it off every time. Yeah, I currently um, use a wired pair of uh, the H6. Are they B? Yeah, the BNO H6. BNO H6. I bought those now, but honestly, a lot of the time I just use my AirPods. I love the noise canceling, but I'm literally only using it on an airplane. And on on the airplane, yeah. I was impressed by the noise canceling just because it was uh, a lot quieter and I wasn't hearing the rumble of the plane. So, but I I w- don't think I would use them in any context other than an airplane. Quite honestly, Jam wants to know, Marco. As far as we know, you're dual wielding aeropresses for your coffee every day. But what about espresso? Do you own or use gear or have any interest in the matter? I. I'm actually not really an espresso person. I, I will drink espresso-based drinks, you know, if they're available and if I, you know, want them like at a restaurant or something, but I don't really drink espresso at home ever. Um, I have found that, you know, I'm just, I'm a drip coffee fan and, and making good espresso at home takes a, a heck of a machine, really. And, and all those machines need a lot of maintenance and cleaning and everything. It's just more <laughs> than what I want for a drink I don't care that much about. The good thing is, because I'm not really an espresso snob the way I'm a coffee snob, I have found that when I'm traveling, you know, if I try somebody else's regular drip coffee, chances are pretty low I'm going to like it. If I'm, you know, if, especially if I'm traveling, and there's, there's of course, the rule of hot places, um, which is hot places usually tend to have the worst drip coffee <laughs> because nobody's really ordering it except me. And so there's not really a lot of pressure from their markets to to have good drip coffee usually. Um, so if I'm traveling somewhere like Las Vegas where it's like it's a, it's a hot place, mm-hmm. uh, I will almost exclusively drink espresso for uh, the main reason that A, I don't really care so much about its quality as I do about drip coffee, and B, I have found that the floor of how bad espresso can be is higher than the floor of how bad drip coffee can be when yes. you're somewhere. Yes. Like you can get the worst drip coffee in the world pretty routinely at like restaurants, diners, you know, whatever else, hotels, airplanes, like they, they, they all have terrible drip coffee available to you. But usually a place either can't make espresso at all or can make a minimum acceptable espresso. And the floor of how bad that is is significantly higher than the likely yeah. floor you will into run into with drip coffee. I object entirely to this entire line of questioning. Yes. Why I mean, are we I talking know, about coffee on the podcast? Right, because finally <laughs> I can, oh. right? Because you will ignore it and get and not let me. So I do like espresso drinks mostly, and I do have an espresso machine at home, which I like very much. It is called the Barista Express. In the UK, it's called Sage. But in the U.S., it's Breville. It's made by Breville, but okay. they have a like a separate line in the U.K. with their coffee products called Sage. Um, I love my espresso machine. My it's very very good, and I use it every day. And it's you can go much 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 more expensive than the one that I use. Um, but I've I'm very happy as someone who is still kind of trying to learn how to do a lot of this stuff properly uh this one does a fantastic job for me i'm i'm a big fan of it Ooh. so i recommend it i thought the tea robot was expensive it's not even close espresso machines are very expensive you get like three yes. tea robots for this i do and, and do you know what jason my espresso machine is not a robot oh it's not a robot well, the, my, to, the tea robot has also been own. told i've been told by john syracuse is not a robot because so it doesn't crawl the, around the, the house the tea not a robot casey not that casey wants to know marco what is your favorite thing to do at the beach you know, I so for me the beach simply means the area living which temporarily. We're in. Yeah, yes. it means living temporarily in the beach town on the beach island, and so I I include everything I do here as as part of being at quote the beach, even when I'm not actually on the sand that's in front of the ocean. 
And my favorite thing to do here is walk, especially walk my dog. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's a wonderful walking environment because on Fire Island, there are no cars. Uh, so you can like it, between all the houses, they're just like big wide sidewalks that are like, you know, they're like boardwalks and you, you just kind of walk everywhere freely. And it's, there's not even any real hills. It's mostly flat. You walk to get groceries, you walk you know, back and forth to the beach and your house and everything. Like it's just a very walking culture. And I love just walking my dog. I, I, I usually, I bring in my, uh, my, you know, ATP sponsor, uh, aftershocks, bone conduction headphones. I'll pop those in cause they're super light and they don't make me hot and I'll, listen to podcasts like this one and i'll walk my dog everywhere and it's wonderful it's by far my favorite thing to do jason what is your favorite thing to do when at the bait when at the beach having spent a week on the beach i think um honestly i think reading under a like a maybe under an umbrella but sitting on the sand i really do love that um and then we all and then you just get up and you get in the water uh, and you bob mm-hmm. around in the waves a little bit and you cool off and then you go back and you sit back down uh, I really like that. That I find it very relaxing. Uh, and I read like five books on my vacation. I was very happy to do that. Yep. My favorite thing is to do nothing. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. For the, we have a, an ongoing debate in in my house about whether vacations are a time when you need to do stuff, activities at the destination, or whether you want to do nothing. I like activities on vacations. A beach vacation. You go into a beach place. You do nothing. There are no activities. Yes. Well, this is the this is a conflict uh, that occasionally my wife and I have had, and I feel bad for her because now that I have two lazy teenagers, it's three against one. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do things, but I like to not necessarily have lots of plans, right? That's why I kind of think of For nothing. Sure. So you're yep. doing nothing. Do you want to go do this now? Yeah, let's go do this now. That's what I like yeah. about this type of beach living. Elliot says, uh, please discuss Jason's request that Overcast support a catch-up mode Syracuse for mode. a podcast that you should listen to from the start with new episodes appearing in your queue automatically. Marco, do you get do you get people who write to you and say, I want to listen to ATP, but I got to start at the beginning? Because I actually get those for a comparable, especially, but also some other podcasts. And I it's uh, these people are John Syracuse's people, I guess. But I, I it blows me away that people do this for, for I, I do get those for inappropriate yeah. podcasts, like for timely podcasts. I get it for other right. kinds of podcasts like the Adventure Zone. I started at the mm-hmm. beginning, but for uh, upgrade, like you don't need to start with number one an ATP start wherever you want. You don't need to. Yeah, yeah. I, we we I actually do get those sometimes and it shocks me as well. Um, but yeah, so for for this kind of feature, I have actually been laying the groundwork for this for a long time. Um, you know, because Overcast syncs to a server-based backend, this gives me a lot of uh, advantages for a lot of features. But when it comes to something like this, where you're like modifying like how a feed is processed by the apps and like what's considered a new episode and what isn't and when they come in, having a server backend is actually a hindrance to this kind of development because it takes a lot of server work that is harder than just doing it locally would be. So I'm laying the groundwork for this. I do plan to launch this feature sometime soon, but it's it has been a long time coming and like mm-hmm. just doing database changes and backend updates and everything to be able to even support this well at all so yes i am doing it but i have no date to announce that's great to hear that fair enough yeah final question comes from troy pie or cake oh easy pie okay pie is way better than cake you did a top four about pie didn't you we did, I believe, yeah. And uh, and we had some debate about whether cheesecake was considered a pie or a cake. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm firmly on team pie on that one. Cake offers way more potential for visual interest, for decoration, for like layers and all sorts of, you know, fun, you know, visual appeal on a cake. But ultimately, pie, I think, offers 
not only better flavors, but more variety of flavors. And so ultimately, I am 100% on Team Pie. I'll tell you, going through the core uh, birthday cake getting years of two children as a parent has eliminated any like that I might have possibly had for cake. (laughs) (laughs) It's pie all the way. If you would like to send in a question for a future episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade. Marco, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. If you want to get Marco's work online, uh, he is the host of the Accidental Tech Podcast, ATP.FM. Uh, and at Relay FM, Marco hosts Top 4 and Under the Radar, and of course, makes the wonderful uh, application Overcast, which if you uh, use iOS and you've not tried out Overcast, you should. It's free to try it out, and it's wonderful. Um, if you would like to find Jason online, you can uh, find his work at sixcolors.com, and he's at Jason on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and Marco is at M-A-R-C-O. I forgot the song. M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T. There you go. Marco Armin. That's the hardest one of the three in the song for me to remember because he kind of like Jonathan Mann breaks from the yeah, rhythm to fit all your leads in, the in. Previous, from the previous measure mm-hmm. a little bit. And, it makes yeah. it very tricky, but I got there in the end. Uh, if you'd like to find the show notes for this week's episode, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 253. Thank you to Squarespace, Pingdom, and Dubai Friday for sponsoring this show. Max, it's not over. Hi, Max. We'll be back next time. Say goodbye, everybody. Howdy, folks. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>